Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we siphon out every last drop of Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute One, which begins with production logos, and it ends with Dean Semler, our director of photography. Welcome to Road Warrior. We are back. If you were here when we were talking about Mad Max, we are so happy to have you back. If this is the first time you are joining us, Welcome. We are glad to have you here. So the way we do things here is we take Mad Max to the Road Warrior specifically, and we break it down minute by minute, like I said in the intro. So this entire first minute constitutes the Warner Brothers logo and essentially white text on a black screen because George Miller likes to front load his credits at the beginning of his movie. And so the first thing that we see is the Warner Brothers Pictures graphic. Now, I should mention, if you are watching an old DVD or VHS copy, that Warner Brothers logo is going to be red and white and on a black background. But if you're watching a newer Blu-ray copy, it's the really nice new image as it goes over the studio and then the the shield, the blue and gold shield. Yeah, like the the WB, the classic WB logo. Yep, and the whole time it does that nice little piano riff of uh, as time goes by. You really get a better situation when you watch the Blu-ray. So if you have the option of VHS slash DVD or Blu-ray, do yourself a favor, grab the (laughs) Blu-ray. Okay, so that means that the edition that you chopped up into little minute bits was the old edition. Technically, yes. We ran out and we bought the giant Blu-ray box set when we first started this project. And so we have Blu-ray copies of every single movie. It's just I haven't taken those Blu-rays and digitized them. The digital copy that I have that we use for reference is essentially the old VHS slash DVD copy. So a little bit older. Okay, because, yeah, the the red and white logo is what I saw. Mm-hmm. I'm actually glad. I, I'd rather watch the original. And I know it's just a logo. It really doesn't make that much of a difference. But I like, it feels authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wax nostalgic about, about logos and whatnot. Yeah. So we go from the Warner Brothers logo. Now, I should mention before we transition off of the logo that last time... When we were watching just regular Mad Max, they didn't have Warner Brothers and all of that Warner Brothers no, money. No, no. And I actually, I looked for some sort of anecdote, entertaining anecdote as to how, you know, um, Kennedy Miller got hooked up with Warner Brothers and I couldn't find one. Mm. What stood out to me as I was looking at that whole situation is that when they first released Mad Max... They did it through Village Roadshow Pictures, which is an Australian-based production company or distributor. And Village kind of hooks up with Warner Brothers because I'm pretty sure... Warner Brothers, did they distribute it in the United States? Well, Mad Max? American film distributors distributed Mad Max in the U.S. That's right. I remember that And I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers probably went and scooped up that small operation. Right. Because they're a large studio. They weren't... I'm using the same notebook, so I'm just flipping back to my notes. 
Yeah, American International um, went out of business not long after Mad Max came out. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that Warner Brothers kind of swooped in and bought up their assets. Mm -hmm. That seems very reasonable. That's a very safe assumption. So as we leave the Warner Brothers logo, we see come up in the white text on a black background that we're going to get stuck with for the next two days. (laughs) Kennedy Miller present. Now, Kennedy Miller is, of course, the production duo of George Miller and Byron Kennedy. They worked together to finance... Not entirely independently, but mostly independently, the entire first movie. And so they're back as a team working together to put this sequel together. So there is something that I'm going to be referencing. And Julia, I'm pretty sure once we sit down and watch it together, we're going to be referencing it a lot. The behind the scenes documentary for The Road Warrior is a little production called Road War. And it kind of picks up where Mad Max left off. It kind of talks about the inception of the movie and then into production and it's a lot of one-on-one interviews with george miller and he talks a lot about the process it's one of the things that comes with the special blu-ray disc set which is called the high octane collection like i said highly recommend picking it up so whenever i refer to something as coming from road war that's what i'm talking about the behind the scenes documentary i'm sure that i watched the other day using that as a reference mm-hmm. the entire the entire movie so in the opening of that documentary george miller is in an interview and he's talking about mad max 2 as a way for him to take everything that he'd learned on that first movie and basically improve on it you know get that higher budget get more vehicles make it a more mythological sort of taking the man of Max Rokitansky who was very much a man in the first movie and turning him into more of a legendary figure than just regular flesh and blood. It's interesting that you say that because I found out online that a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces Mm -hmm. Miller used as inspiration for this story and... Basically, The Hero with a Thousand Faces is maybe not the original, but a very culturally important book about the hero's journey. Yeah, it's kind of the first text that took all of the myths and legends and stories that people have been telling for centuries and finally distilled it down to one person saying, hey, all of these things are very similar. There's a formula here, and here's that formula compiled and arranged yeah it was written by joseph campbell and his own abbreviation of the book um he calls it the monomyth of the book uh is a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won the hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man So that is, in a nutshell, the hero's journey. Yep. And you see that story framework all over the place. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you see it in Star Wars. George Lucas used this book as a very, very strong inspiration for Star Wars. Yeah, I think most action-slash-adventure-style movies draw a lot of guidelines from this idea of the hero's journey. I'm going to talk a bit more about this once we actually get to the screenwriter credits. 
but there's a funny little anecdote that while they were starting to write the story, then they discovered the hero of a thousand faces and had to drop everything, read that, oh. and then came back to the screenplay with renewed information and experience. I totally see that point of view because as I was reading about the hero with a thousand faces, I wanted to drop what I was doing and go read the book. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had like read the book during hiatus and I just might pick up a copy and read it as we go through the movie. I'm actually surprised we don't already have a copy. Because it's right have, up my alley. That's exactly the kind of book that I love. We don't have the biggest library, but we do have... We're working on it. ...a lot of books. Yep. So I, I, I think I'm going to pick it up and, and read it. Yeah. I think it'll give me a lot of insight into this hero's journey. Yeah. The idea of what a hero is yes. in film, literature... Media, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. Another thing that Road Warrior really did for George Miller is it let him apply the practical lessons that he had learned during Mad Max. When him and Byron were laying the groundwork for the first Mad Max movie, they were planning out seemingly every little detail that they could. They wanted to make sure that all of their bases were covered right from the get go. And as soon as they hit the ground running, they immediately stumbled. Because nothing ever goes as planned. Yeah. Directing and producing a movie, dealing with so many moving parts and people, in the interview, he kind of equates it to being in a battle. Having to keep your head on a swivel and constantly rolling with punches and tackling problems as they arise. And... George Miller was a brand new director when he did Mad Max. And so coming back to Road Warrior, he had all of that practical experience that he could apply to the situation. And it's very similar to us because when we did the first season of Mad Max Minute, that was our first time podcasting. And so we learned so many lessons. Yeah. This is our sophomoric effort, just like George Miller's. And hopefully we don't take a, 15, 20 year gap between season three and four, like he did. <laughs> but I don't think we're going to get bogged down with near as many production issues as he did. So, moving on, our next credit is Mel Gibson in. Mel Gibson reprised his role as Max Rockatansky for the sequel, coming back after appearing in a couple of different projects. There's the movie Tim that we mentioned when we mm-hmm. first talked about Mel Gibson during the first movie. There's also a little background role in a movie called The Chain Reaction, which was on our docket to watch for hiatus material before we restructured how we did that. So I think you got saved from watching Chain Reaction this time around. I'm not sure we're going to necessarily be able to avoid that forever. What? Julia did not like the trailer for Chain Reaction. No, it was gross. So there's a (laughs) chance that I might have to watch that one on my own. And report back. George Miller, as he was talking about Mel Gibson, he noted that even though only a few years had passed between 1976 and them filming in the winter of 1981, that Mel had matured in both his appearance and his acting ability because he was still pretty new to the idea of acting on screen when they had him in that first movie. The important thing is that Mel Gibson, not quite as fresh-faced as he was the first time around. And there's actually a funny little snippet from Mel Gibson's interview in that behind-the-scenes documentary where he talks about the 
process of being an action star. He says, when you are a star in an action movie, the main thing you have to do is look scared because the situation you're in is crazy. And he said, you have to look scared, but you can't necessarily look too scared. You have to still be cool. And so there's a line you have to walk, sort of a tightrope of being terrified. But, you know, maybe don't say so much. Maybe quiet down so people don't see through that veneer of cool that you're trying to project. So that was his goal as Max to look terrified most of the time, but still project that he has it together. That sounds that sounds like good advice. Mm-hmm. I think we as consumers are actually kind of picky about our action stars. We We want them a certain way. We want them to behave a certain way. And... We want them to be realistic, but in a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that that seems pretty accurate. From Mel Gibson's name, we go right into the Road Warrior title screen. Now, Which is so 80s. A fun thing about this title screen is that it is remarkably similar to the title screen from the first Mad Max. Not only does it share a kind of blue chromed look to it, mm-hmm. but there's a sound effect that plays when the title actually swoops in and it's the same sound effect from the first movie they recycled it to really create a connection there now in australia the movie was called mad max 2 because everybody in australia had seen mad max but for the united states release because not everyone had seen mad max because they released it with that awful american accent dub yes they titled it the road warrior Oh, okay. So So I had it backwards. They weren't banking on name recognition in the United States, so they gave it that other name. They gave it its own name. I like the title The Road Warrior better than Mad Max 2. Yeah, I think it's more descriptive. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit more exciting, almost. Yeah. So we have both copies of the movie. Like I said, the Blu-ray will say Mad Max 2. The DVD VHS copies will often say Road Warrior. The one that we're using for reference says Road Warrior up at the front. That's where we're coming from when we reference our videos that we're watching. We go from the Road Warrior slash Mad Max 2, based on what you're watching, to the second featuring name, which is with Bruce Spence who is playing our gyro captain. We're going to get more into each of these actors that we mentioned today. We're Mm going to get more into them when they actually show up on screen. That's one thing that we like to do. But it is notable to say that by 1981, Spence had been acting in productions for over a decade. He started acting in 1970, mostly in films and television. One major detail about Bruce Spence is that he is six foot seven inches tall, which is 2.01 meters for our international listeners. Wow, that's very tall. So after Bruce Spence, we get Mike Preston, who is going to play Papagallo in this movie. He was born in Hackney, London in 1938. He emigrated to Australia and became an actor and TV host. But before he did that, he was a boxer and a singer, and he actually had three top 40 hits, including his 1959 cover of Mr. Blue that reached number 12 on the charts. Oh. Yeah. He's not the first singer to get a role in a Mad Max film. That's Howard Anen back in the first movie. But it is kind of funny that we have another singer in the cast. It seems to be one of those things that actors do. After Mike Preston, we see Max Phipps as the toady. 
Phipps was actually a renowned stage actor. Like, he was a big name in Australian theatre. In fact, he performed during the Sydney Opera House's inaugural season. He performed in London for two years down in Melbourne. He played the main role in the Rocky Horror Show as Dr. Frankenfurter. <laughs> so when the toady shows up, try not to imagine him wearing fishnets and a bustier and a thong and everything like that. That's probably for the best. I mean, granted, everybody else in the cast is wearing those because they seem to shop exclusively at an S&M shop for all their costumes. But that's beside the point. We're not going to worry about that too much. Oh, oh! I think we're going to worry about it a lot. I, I, I think that that fact is going to come up a lot Yeah. over the course of the movie. So next up after Max Phipps is Vernon Wells as Wes. Road Warrior was actually a huge stepping stone for Vernon Wells because it catapulted him into the public attention so that he could get roles in 1985's Weird Science. He played, oh. He played Bennett in Commando, so the guy that gets to beat up on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> a role of a lifetime. Yep. He also played one of the main villains in a couple seasons of Power Rangers, specifically Time Force and Wild Force. He was a guy named Rancic. Is great. A lot of good stuff. We'll get into all of that when he finally shows up. And we don't actually have to wait that long. He shows up pretty early. So I'm looking forward to him. And finally... After Vernon Wells, we get and Emil Minty as the feral child. Road Warrior was also the first film appearance for Minty, who kind of grunted and growled his way into the hearts of Australians and people all over the globe. <laughs> he did a few other film and TV roles before retiring from acting in like the early 90s, and he actually works as a jeweler now. You could go to his jewelry shop in Sydney, and he'll like sign things for you. Like, if you ask nicely. And I'm sure if you buy something from the shop, that's appreciated, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. After Emil Minty, we are done with actors, and it goes on to say that the screenplay is by George Miller, Terry Hayes, and Brian Hannant. So, Terry Hayes is a notable name because he wrote the novelization for Mad Max, that book that I was had a terrible time trying to find and never did. Still a little salty about that one. I could never find it for a price that wasn't like, hey, here's a rundown copy for way more than you would ever pay for a book. <laughs> it seems so strange in our day and age, the world of Amazon, mm. that there's a book you can't get. The trouble is, it was a limited run. They just stopped printing them, and I don't think anybody has the digital distribution rights. Yeah. Hayes had a lot of prior experience with the character of Max. He knew he was talking about and so George, he was a shoe in for George Miller to work with as they were writing the second movie they also were working on another script together mm -hmm. um, called Roxanne that was shelved it wasn't exactly clear if it was shelved in favor of Road Warrior or if they moved on to Road Warrior because Roxanne was shelved Yeah, and Roxanne was going to be a more Americanized type of story yes Brian Hannant was actually brought in later on in the process, and he was a co-writer and second unit director. That's where he fits into it. Moving on, we get art direction by Graham Grace Walker. The compound that we spend a lot of time of the movie in, he was in charge of pretty much building that from the ground up. Moving on from him, we get costume design by Norma Morrisseau. 
Yeah, that sounds right. She's got an interesting story. Obviously, we know that everybody, seemingly, in Road Warrior wears some sort of leather or bondage gear or something mm-hmm. like that. She was inspired to do that because as she would walk to work in the morning, she would always pass by an S&M leather shop. It was just on her way to work. And so she just got the idea to stop in one day and ask them about it. Ask them about the process and the leather and the designs. And I think pretty much everybody on that cast at some point is wearing some sort of S&M gear, more or less. She was nominated for a Saturn Award in 1983, Best Costumes for the Road Warrior. And she won an AFI Award for Best Achievement in Costume Design for the Road Warrior. Oh, she also did uh, Chain Reaction and Thunderdome. Nice. So I, I highly appreciate that she was nominated and won awards for this specific costume design. Because it is so unique and using a, a genre of clothing and costuming, it just, especially in the early 80s, didn't get a lot of mainstream play. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people shied away from that sort of right. style. <laughs> Unless you were a member of the village people. Right. And I don't think they were coming around for another several years when they released Road Warrior. Yep, and she made it appropriate for this time and this place. She used it as characterization for the members of the gang, the people that we see in the Lord Humongous's cadre. Yes, and I'm looking forward to picking that apart as we go along. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. So the last name that we see in this first minute of the movie is that of the director of photography, Dean Semler. Now, Dean Semler did not work on the first Mad Max movie. He was brought in mostly because of the work that he had done for the Australian government. George Miller saw a bunch of train footage that he had shot for uh, an advert or something like that, and he said, this guy knows how to shoot motion. You know, the idea of landscape moving underneath a vehicle. Because with Mad Max, there were a lot of instances where you were shooting inside buildings on sets and everything like that. Only half of the movie, or two-thirds of the movie, was on the road. Whereas Road Warrior was going to be a lot more kinetic. I mean, there's a... Yeah, are there are there even any interior shots? Like, I think the entire, like, last half hour of the movie is just one is prolonged on the road. race scene. Yeah. It's not actually that long, I'm estimating, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah. George Miller saw what this man can do, having an eye for that kind of frantic motion. And he said, this is the guy I want for my second movie. So he snatched him right up. And when you watch the voiceover commentary of The Road Warrior on the Blu-ray, it's George Miller and Dean Semler. So he's the the second voice when you sit down and watch that. All right. I think the only other information that I got that, that I have in my notes is the budget. They got $2 million to make the movie which was a huge, phenomenal improvement over Mad Max. Mm-hmm. And the total box office was $24 million. So, huge hit. Absolutely. The Mad Max movies, they make money. Yes, they do. They put butts in seats. Yes, they for do. Sure. Even if they don't put them in pants. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, I saw a note, and I actually did not go on Rotten Tomatoes to confirm this, but I saw a note on a page that 
it has a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe it. I believe it. Road Warrior is often recognized as the best Mad Max movie in the series. Now, personally, I kind of flip-flop back and forth between Road Warrior and Fury Road, and I feel like there are like nostalgia glasses involved. Mm-hmm. But then again, there's also special effects that kind of blind me to it. Like it's hard for me to really sit down and pick right. which one I like better. Unfortunately for me, right now, my favorite movie out of the series is Mad Max. Like, I got really attached to that movie. Yeah. And I'm actually having kind of a hard time switching gears Mm -hmm. and, like, coming to this new reality. So I I think it's going to take me a little while to get used to, okay, it's the Road Warrior now. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of an adjustment, to Mm -hmm. be sure, going from some semblance of society as we know it to no semblance of society as we know it i mean we're going to get a nice chunk of exposition starting tomorrow yep explaining how we got to this point and that's gonna pretty much eat up the rest of this week this idea of talking about where everything went wrong how it all fell apart where we're at now and then by friday we're going to be into the actual thick of the movie, but we need to establish these baseline parameters at the start. I'm excited. I am too. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, and this is me just personally speaking, I had a lot of fun doing our first season of the Mad Max Minute, talking about 1979's Mad Max, because I feel like it's a movie that doesn't get enough love, and it was great to sit down and really give it the love that it deserves. Yes, I can't imagine starting with Road Warrior without that backstory. Yeah. And we'll definitely touch on this in the future, but we look at the first Mad Max movie as foundational. Like, without the first Mad Max, Road Warrior is a lot of fun. But with the first Mad Max, it gets a lot better. So I hope that if you have not sat down and watched 1979's Mad Max, that you'll definitely do that. Take the opportunity You don't necessarily have to go back and listen to our entire first season. It's a lot of content. I think it's over two days worth of continuous listening (laughs) to get through it all. But at least sit down, take 93 minutes out of your day, and watch that first movie to just give you a nice good bedrock to build on as we dig through this movie. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share on social media to help others find the show. Thank you for joining us for Minute One of The Road Warrior. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.